electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, Snap, Crackle, Drop. Snap shares plummeting, falling over 25% after hours. A big-time miss, and they're going to slow hiring. The numbers and the ripple effects straight ahead. From Snap's slump to summer sizzle, big chunks of the market are surging this month. From semis to casinos to high-growth tech and even housing. We'll look at where the charts say we should go next. And later, investors hanging up on AT&T. Options action in Verizon and tongues are a-wagging over the recent run in Chewy. I'm Courtney Reagan. And in this evening for Melissa Lee, this is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of Times Square. On deck tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Steve Grasso. But we start with an earnings alert on Snap. Shares plummeting as the social media company misses on the top and the bottom line. You'll remember, the company already warned about the quarter just weeks after its last earnings report. So let's bring in CNBC's Julia Borston for more details on this quarter. Hi, Julia. Well, Courtney, it's not just that they missed on the top and bottom line. Revenue growth so far in the third quarter was flat with the year-ago period. That's compared to the 18% revenue growth that analysts expected for Q3. It's also down from the 13% growth they reported for this quarter. And as you mentioned, all of this is after the company had already lowered its growth forecast for the quarter. You see shares are now down 26%. All of that news overshadowing better-than-expected user growth. Um, And the company added 15 million DAUs in the quarter and guided to better than expected user growth in the third quarter to end Q3 with 360 million DAUs. Now, Snap's weakness is really dragging other social stocks down with it on concerns, of course, about the macro um, economic issues. MetaShares down about 5%, Alphabet shares off about 3%, and Pinterest shares down about 7%. CEO, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel saying, quote, we're not satisfied with the results we are delivering regardless of the current headwinds. He pointed to impact from platform policy changes, macroeconomic challenges, and also increasing competition for ad dollars, dollars that he says are growing more slowly. He says it will likely take some time before the company sees significant improvements. Now, to address the shortfalls they're facing, uh, Spiegel laying out how they're investing to build their direct response ad business. They're also creating new revenue sources. And he also talked about trying to drive productivity, including with, quote, a substantially reduced rate of hiring and strict reprioritization of goals and initiatives. Now, in other news, Courtney, the company authorized a $500 million stock buyback. Back over to you. There's so much to talk about here, Julia. Thank you for setting it up for us. Karen, I know you've been digging through this report. Julia just talked about that buyback. Kind of funny, but what else makes you sort of scratch your head about this one? After the warning, still, what a dump of the thing. After the warning, I guess, I mean, it was, I don't know, maybe May 20th. I guess that's a really long time from now. Not joking in in how how quickly things are changing. So they dropped that bombshell of guidance just so shortly after their prior quarter. And now to do it again, I mean... I don't know if this is, it has to be both a snap and a bigger problem, not just snap. But I mean, with you, you know, Julia touched on it. DAU was good. 
this, re this revenue miss is really, really bad. Obviously doesn't bode well for the other ones. I just shorted some Pinterest on the heels of it, just thinking the whole, the whole group will obviously trade down tomorrow. I am long meta, so that's going to trade down tomorrow. It's down now. But uh, I, this is really, it's concerning for sure. The valuation here, though, is different. totally different. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's totally apples and oranges animal. there. Right. Yeah. So I think that uh, I'd much rather, much rather be in meta. The, the actual, the $500 million buyback is interesting, mm -hmm. especially if you're losing money and your share count <laughs> shrinks, you do lose more money per share. But that's just math. Anyway. <laughs> Just now, yeah. you know, right. uh, Tim, what do you what do you make of this? And especially Evan Spiegel talking about the competition for ads that's getting tighter. What does that bode for Meta, for Pinterest, for some of these other names that we're still waiting to hear more? We, we've we've seen this, you know, essentially three out of the last four quarters out of Snap. And and if you think back to uh, again their announcement in I think it was in October, it, which was a, a bigger move lower on the stock. It was a seventy five dollar stock going into that number. But the impact that 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 the entire space has had to assess ad spend cyclicality. Uh, and where media and, and it's even bled into some of the streaming names. So um, this is, uh, I think, the, the reality of, of being the first ones out there to really talk about these trends, even though Snap is a very different company. Look, Meta on valuation and on cash flow and on user base is, is such a different company. And in a world where uh, advertisers really don't have a lot of places to go, I have to tell you, I don't worry all that much about the cyclicality in digital ad business. I, I think we all know a lot of stocks have been priced for recession. And, and you know whether we get there or not, we certainly know there's going to be an ad spend pullback. We know that. That's in Facebook. Um, that we thought was in Snap. Snap up about 30% off of its lows going into this number, yet still was down 75%. So I think a very different company at a very different stage of its growth. Its profitability, though, down. And it's, and it's uh, Guy, yes, I'm going to utter the initials ARPU, um, but the ARPU um, was down significantly lower than where they had expected. In fact, it was down, it missed by about 18%. And, and that, that's distressing also at a time when profitability has never been more under the microscope. Yeah, absolutely. But with shares down 26, 25% here after after hours. Is there any trade to make around this one guy? I mean, it had been as high as $83 within the 52 weeks. Yeah, and Karen and I were talking about before the show. And it, this just, to Tim's point, though, for context, which I guess is important, this level, $12, gets us back to where we were basically a month or so ago. The stock went from 12 to almost 17 bucks. So I actually give them a little credit. I mean, if you continue to do the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result, typically it doesn't work Insanity, out. Insanity, I believe. I appreciate I that. That's what exactly we call right. Well, in this case, at least, you're saying, you know what, the environment is such, we're not going to give guidance for the third quarter. Good for them. At least they finally figured it out. More people should. Karen talks about that all the time. And I don't think you have to run out and buy it tomorrow. But I'll say this. You know what? The quarter by itself although bad, wasn't a 25% disaster in my opinion. Maybe the fact that the stock rallied a bit, and again, off that May 20 guide, they got it again. But I actually think this is a stock, and if Dan Nathan were here, this is one you could start probably picking on around this $12 or so hmm. level. Let me just ask, can I ask a question? Yeah, Would you do three-day rule here or no? Well, Steve Grosso's here, so why don't we ask oh, him? I mean, he's, uh, he's a three-day guy. three-day rule? He's the arbiter. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's always the three-day rule. Whenever you have a massive move like this, you always have to uh, put into effect the three-day rule. But the guy pointed out that 1190 around 12 bucks, that was a level where this thing pretty much stopped on a dime. The COVID low for this is right around $8.20. So you know what your downside risk is. And, that, and that's not saying I know uh, Tim has pointed this out. COVID lows don't mean, doesn't mean that that's your foundational low, but I think you can nibble on this stock around these levels. I would have actually been a buyer on Pinterest. 
And I know Karen thinks it'll go lower. I do think it'll go lower. Pinterest was only up 13% for the month. This one was up 27% for the month. So I think the three-day rule, Karen, you can use on Pinterest as well, even though that was collateral damage. So you would have been a buyer on Pinterest or you are a buyer or would be a buyer now as Karen shorts Pinterest after this snap result? No, I, it was a binary event as earnings are, right? Okay. So if they, if they beat, the stock rallies. If it, if it, if it falls off, then the stock uh, gets cratered. So right now you have very tradable levels in these names. But remember, the three-day rule is you have to hold that low for three days. All right. Fair enough. Let's move on and talk about markets, because meanwhile, we actually closed at the highs of the day there across the board. The Dow actually erasing a 340 point loss to end pretty firmly in the green. And this, of course, came before the snap report and ahead of what's going to be a big week for the markets. The Fed's next rate hike expected to come on Wednesday. Earnings from big tech names like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft and a number of others on the calendar and the latest reads on GDP and inflation. So can these stocks sustain their strength as the month draws to a close? Guy, it feels it's like a positive momentum is starting to swell in the markets. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You have more and more people trying to call bottoms, talk about bottoms, trying to indicate all the different indicators they have. I saw somebody with some like Da Vinci method the other day, which I've never heard of. I've been doing this a long time, as you know. <laughs> that was a first on me. But I'll say this. I think we've all been somewhat steadfast since that Fed meeting on June 15th. I think we all thought the market had been overdone. I know a lot of us said we're going to rally into probably Apple earnings, and that's exactly what's happening. 4,100 in the S&P has been a level that I thought we would overshoot to. We're getting closer by the day. I think it happens. But I do think as seven of the biggest Nasdaq companies announced they're starting to lay off people, you hear more and more of these things, Ford Motor Company. It's across a spectrum of industries now. The environment isn't great. I don't think it's supportive of a market that's going to continue to go higher into late summer. So I think we get to 4,100. I think we hear from Apple. I think we fail there. But, Tim, isn't it the big question about whether or not we're afraid of what's happening now or we're afraid of what's happening to come when we're talking about hiring? I mean, how are you going to be reading through some of these big tech reports as they come out? Well, and, and so if, if you heard from Snap and you heard about, hey, we're going to do what we can in terms of cutting costs. And we've been hearing that from every tech company. It almost seems like that's the bar that's been set. And, and you're almost a, you're almost a fool. Again, we're, we're saying guidance might be foolish at this point on the show. We don't feel like you have to give it all the time um, to, to be uh, not talking about how you're going to be cutting costs and cutting labor. I don't think there's any question, uh, despite as someone has talked about, uh, are we could we really be going into a recession when we're adding jobs at the pace we have over the last two quarters when people say, we are printing negative you know, GDP, but but there's no question we're at peak labor. There's no question to me um, we're at a place where, first of all, when capital is free, companies can grow, companies can spend at any cost, and they can spend on labor. We had labor constraints, which meant let's overhire, let's figure it out later. All of this stuff means I do think the job market's changing. Uh, and if you look at what happened in the long end of, of the of the bond curve today, you saw the tenure that had actually been starting to see yields move back up and get above kind of key support, so around three percent below this. Look, there's that you can make an argument that's not great news. I mean, you know, this is a case where bond market um, bad news may be good news on a Fed pivot, but not good news in terms of what it reads on the economy. The things that the market likes are possibly that, though. And the market also likes a dollar that's gotten weaker. The market likes a, a, a dynamic here where I think you, you've had positioning and, and we've talked about sentiment. We've talked about this, whether it's the Bank of uh, Merrill Lynch, Bank, Bank of America's fund manager survey. All of these ingredients say Positioning and sentiment were at extremes by any measure, by any cycle, by any year, by any crisis. 
That's an environment where you get a 21% move on the semis in 12 sessions. Um, can they do that in the next 12 sessions? No way. And I'll, I'll, I mean, I don't think that's too aggressive for me to get out there. So I think we've seen a good rally. Uh, I'm not chasing this one. We're talking a lot about tech, of course, and we're watching the NASDAQ composite up more than 7% in a week. But the Russell 2000, Karen, is actually up even stronger than that in a week. What does that tell you about what's going on? Well, I, I actually, has it been crushed more even than the than the triple Qs? Maybe. Yep, I'm not yep. really sure. One thing, though, that I just want to point out that's sort Please. of interesting. My friend Andy Constant just uh, pinged me that the U.S. five-year, five-year, which is the five-year look on what the five-year inflation will be, actually went below two today. Mm-hmm. Oh. As recently as, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, it was 2.6. So I don't know if that's telling you, yes, the recession is really getting priced in. And is, if, if that is the case, if someone were to ring a bell and say, recession is here right now, is that a bottom for the market? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Well, 15% yeah. ago on, on, on the NASDAQ, I mean, it, it, was, it was 80% priced in. Now where are we? I mean, we, we've, we've taken some of that back. And, in a, you know, if you look at markets, uh, the charts are very interesting because I got to tell you, I talked to traders. These charts over the last couple of days are the kind traders live for. Um, mm-hmm. And right now, these are still very bullish charts. And, and that's the one thing you have to be very wary of on the short side. Grass, I want to give you the last word. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, Guy, I'll, I'll pick up where Guy uh, left off. The, if you look at the chart on the S&P, the 100-day moving average is at 41.40. So Guy mentions that level 4,100-ish. So I think we could rally actually to that level going into the CPI in August. I think we have to talk about peak inflation. If you get peak inflation, then maybe you get peak hawkishness by the Fed. At least that's what market participants are hoping for. But we, we all know as market participants for a long time that the Fed oversteps or has the ability to overstep. So I think this, this uh, rally can be a little bit elongated, but I still think the pressing concerns over recession and how deep of a recession and Fed hawkishness will still persist up until middle of August. Well, coming up, semis soaring. We just kind of teased it out a minute ago. Chip stocks ripping nearly 14% so far this month. But can that climb continue? We're going to hit those charts specifically next. So stick around to find out. Plus, a surprise from across the pond. The ECB hiking interest rates for the first time in more than a decade. So what impact will that have on our markets and the global fight against inflation? We're going to break it down when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Semi stocks ripping higher this month, far outpacing the broader market. But our next guest says it might be time to fade that rally. It's time to go off the charts with Chris Barone of Strategist, a Baird company. Chris, take it away. Yeah, Courtney, great to be here. Listen, I think when we talk about the semis in particular, first we just need to put it in context of the broader market. Where are we in this bear market? What does this rally mean? How does it change the script? And we really look at three things. If the bear market's going to turn here, I would say, number one, we need better breath, we need the macro to improve, and we need leadership to turn over. So I brought along some charts, and we'll just start looking at some of the internals here. Now, something that we see historically, when you're coming off a low, if a bounce is going to turn into a durable advance, say a new bull market, you want to see the share of advancing stocks every day really start to surge. I think it's early to make that case. I mean, breath has been maybe a little bit better, uh, let's say, over the last week or so, but I wouldn't say the internals are surging here. I think, secondly, let's remember, the bar has to be high here. I mean, this is the seventh time that the Triple Qs has tried to rally this year. We're up about 12% off the lows. I think 320 on Triple Qs is a really, really big level here, just in terms of evaluating uh, where this can go. And then with respect to the macro, so you have to go back to June 9th, the last time the S&P closed around 4,000. So we just compared some macro inputs today versus then. They're not much better. I mean, credit is wider, euro is weaker, curve is inverted. I mean, Bitcoin is still 25% below where it was just on June 9th, despite this rally. And then it brings us to the last point with respect to leadership and semis. And I think semis have been such an integral part of this market over the last decade. I, I think we should look to them for some signal here. And our suspicion is that they're rallying in a bear market or they're rallying uh, in a downtrend. Certainly a big move here uh, over the last week or two. But on the SMH, that 250 neighborhood is a major, major level. Not only are they in an absolute bear market, but they've also, uh, we think, topped relative to the broader market. So. I think the bar here is high. Look for leadership to turn. Look for macro to improve. Look for breadth to get better. If you're going to get to a point where you feel comfortable making a major low call, I'm just not there yet. So, Chris, you've given us three things to sort of look out for to possibly turn this tide. Is there any one data point that you're looking for to maybe move that macro needle as we're talking about the GDP coming out, the Fed meeting, inflation data? Does it all have to go in the same direction for you to see this bounce become an upward trend that's more sustainable? Yeah, I think any time in this business you're talking about a change of a trend or a new call, the data is going to be circumstantial, and we got to do our best with the inputs or the facts we have. And that's where I would really emphasize leadership. If this is really going to turn into something, 
the move out of the semis has to persist. Discretionary has to get better. Banks have to kind of really step in here and take, and take over some leadership. So I think we'll you know, look for those signals. I would say it's still early, you know, a week or two weeks into this rally to make that our judgment. I mean, we've been in this bear market for six months. Uh, the bar, to, to, I think, flip the call or flip the script still has to be pretty high here. Hey, Chris, it's, it's Steve Grasso. So when I look at the chart, yeah. I agree with you I, on the SMH. It's been on a declining trend channel since January, basically. Yeah. It looks like it wants to turn around and sell off. The three top holdings, Taiwan Semi, NVIDIA, Qualcomm. Qualcomm, to me, looks like the best chart in the semis, although it's, it has lagged. Uh, it, it had lagged for a considerable amount of time. Yeah. It actually looks like it's leading now. What is your favorite chart in the semis? Well, Steve, great point. And if you look at the constituents of the SMH, there's 25 stocks in the SMH. Only four of them, four of 25, are above their 200-day moving average. Analog devices, on semi, um, Qualcomm, right? So if you're talking about trying to find the best chart in what's otherwise, I still think, a pretty messy group, Qualcomm is certainly higher on that list for us uh, than some of its peers. So I think you're spot on there. Fair enough. Chris, thank you very much for joining us, going through the thank charts you. with us. Let's trade it, Tim. I think you were the one that brought up semis last when we were in our market discussion. I, I seem somewhat obsessed with semiconductors, but I think <laughs> we're supposed to be. And I, and some of the things that Chris is talking about is a chart that's going second and third derivative into looking at just these charts. Um, the ratio of the market to the S&P. So on the way up for two, three years, in fact, for close to 10 years, semiconductors have formed the S&P. But if you look at that downtrend, uh, and again, this is a ratio, simply divide the SMH by the SPX. And you get a ratio and you do this for a lot of stocks to understand relative performance to each other. And I think what Chris is talking about is, first of all, um, that downtrend where semis peaked against the market on December 1st is a downtrend that I think yesterday. And this is the the fun part about charts. They're they're exact, but they're not exact. We broke through that downtrend. Um, Is that the line in the sand that's that's adamant? No. And and I think you have to consider different factors. Triple Q's again, I think 310. Uh, until we get there, we're still in a downtrend. And the thing that worries me most right now is, uh, I know we talked about how there was such poor sentiment. I'm a little worried about complacency when I look at the VIX. Uh, and I look at the VIX with the 23 handle. With all of those factors Chris just talked about, and you, you, you plot it on an inverse against the S&P, it looks like when we hit these kinds of lows, the market's actually gone through at least a, a, a reasonable kind of period top. You know, he mentioned Qualcomm. Steve mentioned it as well. That's the name we've talked about. Held the October low around 120. We pointed it out at the time a month or so ago. It's rallied nicely. And that's the name, at least on valuation, you can make a pretty compelling case for, which I think you still can make a case for in earnings on the 27th. But I think we'd all be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that magically – NVIDIA has gone from 140 to 180 on some extraordinary trading from some folks in the West Coast and uh, D.C. I know that I bring that up somewhat to be funny, but not because it infuriates people and it should infuriate people. Back to you. (laughs) Likes to infuriate people. (laughs) Well, thanks for that. Uh, Now that everyone's sufficiently fired up. Coming up, the global inflation fight. That one continues, too, as the ECB hikes rates for the first time in more than a decade. So what does the move signal for the Fed here at home? Well, those details are ahead. Plus, late payment pain. AT&T tumbling as phone bill delinquencies rack up. And a few of the traders are feeling the cellular disruption in their portfolios. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. For more than a decade, 
Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another look at our big story. Shares of Snap plunging after hours, down 27% on an earnings miss. It's currently on pace for the second biggest drop since going public. We'll get more on the move with Gene Munster later in the hour. But Snap is not the only mover today. Sam Adams maker Boston Beer, that stock dropping more than 8%. Demand for hard seltzer continuing to decline. Not at my house. Mattel down despite an Atta earnings girl. miss after raising concerns over margins and Seagate down after missing urgent earnings and issuing disappointing outlook. Intuitive Surgical, that's also plunging. But one bright spot, Tenant Healthcare, mm-hmm. that's up despite an earnings miss. We'll get to that in a second. But Karen, earlier on the show, you mentioned sort of quickly that you put in a short for pins for Pinterest. Why that after Snap? Specifically, um, it was down. Yes. It's down way less than Snap, which is not surprising. It shouldn't be down a whole lot. I just think tomorrow it's just gonna, they're all going to trade really poorly. And I, I think that I don't know what Evan Spiegel is going to say. I really okay. want to hear the call because he gives some interesting color and some context. I don't think it's going to sound particularly great. Um, the only this is a very just short term trade for me because okay. remember Elliot is there. Yeah. I don't know how aggressive they're going to be, but I mean here's would be an opportunity for them to buy stock. They had the chance May 20th or May tw- <laughs> the day after. That's I don't know if that's when they issued that warning. Right. But I do. I will want to hear the call. Okay. And guy, what about Tenant Healthcare moving higher? What do you make of that move? Full year guide. I mean, yeah, the quarter was ish, you can say, but the stock has gone from 90 down to 54. It's bounced. People say, well, wait a second, the quarter wasn't great. Then they say full year guidance is good. Even at the low end of guidance, $5.80, you're talking about a stock that prior to this move is trading at 10 times that number, which is too cheap in this space. The hospitals are interesting to me. Everybody loved tenant health care four or five months ago. Obviously, the market sold off. But I think the stock is really interesting here despite this move higher in the aftermarket. Well, now we're going to move on to a key decision overseas. Europe's central bank hiking interest rates for the first time in 11 years. The ECB lifting rates by a half a point. The market was looking for a quarter point, so a more aggressive move. And that aggressive move coming about a week before the Federal Reserve makes its decision on rates. Our next guest warns Wall Street is underestimating U.S. policymakers. Mike Schumacher is head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Uh, So, Mike, why... When the ECB makes this move after 11 years, does this portend something more aggressive for our Federal Reserve when we've been making moves? They've been taking aggressive stance, stances. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. It shows the inflation fight is global. ECB has not moved in a decade. Today it did, finally. Maybe too late, but nonetheless, it did something. And that really shows central bankers are in a very aggressive inflation-fighting stance. We think the Fed's going to reiterate that. Yes, it probably goes 75 basis points next week. That's not the big news, though. The news will be when Chairman Powell 
in his press conference, at least in my opinion, says, hey, look, this fight's going to go on a while. It's probably going to extend at least through this year, maybe into next year. So buckle up. The market's pricing too little out of the Fed. So you think it's less about the the rate move itself, which you're calling for 75 basis points, and more about what Chairman Powell says about what's to come. And you believe that message is changing? Why? Just because of the ECB? Not necessarily because of the ECB. The ECB is really just the latest piece to fall into line. So Bank of Canada went 100 basis points last week. U.S. CPI was terrible. So you've had a number of data points come out recently that would, I think, confirm the Fed's view that, hey, inflation's not going to go down easily. Again, it's global. We have to fight back. So the chair's got a challenge, though, because the Fed has lost a bit of credibility with respect to guidance. And I think that's going to induce him to pound the table even harder than he would have done otherwise. Michael, it's Tim. When we think about the ECB and the conundrum that they're in when faced with record inflation, gas dynamics, political discord across the European Union and, and you know, sovereign uh, debt, not necessarily crisis time. But um, what's your call on the euro as we impute this back into multinationals? Because this is, you know, we'll, we'll take care of that side. I'm just kind of curious how you feel the currency continues to move. Dollar's given something back over the last couple of days, but hard to see the fundamentals realigning in favor of being long the euro. That's right. We're still dollar bulls. Yeah, sure. The euro's gained a few cents recently, as you say, but we think the euro trends down over the next call it three to four months. You've got a huge gap in interest rates. It makes it really tough to be long euro versus USD. And also the relative economic dynamics, I think, point strongly to the U.S. dollars. So we like the dollar versus the euro. We can see euro going to 95 cents, perhaps lower. Michael, how long do you think it takes these Fed actions to actually really take a bite out of inflation? Yeah, it's a great question. And when you think about it, the whether it's Fed leaders or leaders of other central banks, they always talk about the legs in monetary policy, but they invariably point out that we're not entirely sure what they are. They're variable. So I would say at a minimum six months. And if you think about the first Fed hike being in March, that would tell us September really is the first impact plausibly on the quote real economy. But I think really what the Fed's trying to do is tighten financial conditions and translated for for viewers and for all of us, really what that means plainly is equities take a hit, interest rates go up, credit spreads widen, mortgage rates rise. All these things have been happening. So that's the big impact the Fed's been able to get done already. But as far as impacting more core economic activity, we probably have to wait a few more months. Ironic, of course, after they helped to juice up those markets to get to these levels that they're now trying to cool off. Michael, thank you very much for being here with your take. Steve Grasso, what do you make of uh, all this? And what Mike has to say about the ECB potential ripple effect and what it means here for us and our monetary policy. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, being uh, Tim had asked him uh, about the euro and he said that he was still a dollar bull, which means that I believe, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say what he means by it. What I interpret that to mm-hmm. mean is that the Fed will probably be more aggressive than people think they will be. So that means a higher U.S. dollar, which means it's probably worse for equities, as as uh, Mike just stated. Karen, what do you do when you're uh, this many days ahead of a, a Fed decision as far as your portfolio, when you've got so many other big factors between now and then when the corporate earnings reports and commentary come out? It doesn't change anything because we, okay. we talk about a lot. You know, if you some days, if you gave me exactly what they were going to say, I wouldn't know how the market would react, right? <laughs> okay. We've seen, you know, right. giant moves, and then the next day, uh, market's like, never mind, we got that wrong, we're reversing all of that. So I, it's, it's too complicated to try to game that, so I just, 
kind of ignore. Which is why everybody has to watch Fast Money every day. And, and also, guy, I mean, you, doesn't the Fed tell us more than we need to know? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of teeing you up because I think you've got some strong opinions. Uh, on other. You're just, you're just I going. Why we I, was, I woke up in such a good mood. I'm like, Damone, and you're going you're gonna to bring me down. I'm not going to go down the primrose path. I'm not going to take the bait. I will say this, though. People were some saying, you know, peak inflation. I heard Steve say that 9.1 print. That might have been the highest we'll see for years to come. Crude and commodities have come down 30 percent since basically the, the numbers for that reading came in. If you take 30 percent off 9.1 percent, you're still talking about a CPA with a six handle, which is three, three times the amount that the Fed wants for inflation. So they're about three years behind the curve. So he was just he was spot on in terms of his assessment with the Fed. People don't realize how steadfast they have to be to fight the exact animal now that they wanted for years and years to your earlier point. Thank you, Tim, for teeing me up. As expected. Well, coming up, the letter T tanking. Two of our traders on this desk own it. Are they hanging on? Are they staying hold? Are they getting more? We'll see. We'll dial into the telecom names next. Plus, we're still watching the after hours action in Snap. Much more on that trade down more than 26%. We're back in two. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. The consumer is experiencing a bit of stress. You know, I see a lot of the same numbers you see, and we know that there's some trade-offs occurring right now and decisions on dining and travel and a variety of other things, and it's it's mostly, mostly hitting those in, in lower socioeconomic tiers. That was AT&T CEO John Stanky on Squawk Box this morning after their earnings report. AT&T tumbling nearly 8% after posting higher costs and a big jump in late bill payments by their customers. That dinged the company's cash flow to the tune of $1 billion for the quarter. AT&T also lowered its full-year guidance. Tim? You own this one. I do. Uh, look, on some level, I feel like the story has been de-risked when you think about the divestitures. And this is a company that badly uh, misstepped uh, in terms of their media acquisitions and their unwind and whatnot. What's concerning about these numbers today is in a world where we have 9.1 percent inflation, as Guy gave us the, those numbers, um, their, their, their top line was up only 2.2 percent. Um, means that they have no pricing power. means they haven't been able to actually take advantage of this environment. And, I, you know, the, the free cash flow cut from, I think, 16 to 14 billion bodes very poorly for the dividend. And Karen, I'll tee up Karen because this is what we're doing tonight. Talk to me about buying a stock just for the dividend. Right. You so don't, we, we, talk, we, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Buying a stock just for a dividend, you could lose that dividend in one day, right. which is actually like today. what happened here. And it's a total bummer. So we, that's, for me, that's not the criteria. Total bummer for you too, Steve. I understand you're also in AT&T. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a small position. It's something that I've owned for decades. So this is something that is always, always a little, little bit of a position there. And it's, I, don't, I don't just buy it for the dividend, but it's sort of one of those, I, I, I dare to say, a core position. But if you look at Verizon and you look at AT&T, how they have underperformed dramatically, and then you look at T-Mobile, that is looked to be the innovator in the space still, even after John Ledger is not there any longer, is up 14% year to date. But I'm more shocked that people are not paying their phone bills on time. The last thing that people forget to pay are their lights and their phone bills. So I'm shocked at what this means for the economy. 
I was kind of shocked at that, too, that, that uh, they had so many delinquencies. We're going to have to look into that one a little further, see what those ripple effects mean. But sticking with telecom for a minute here, Verizon Wireless on deck to report tomorrow. And options traders are betting that results might look pretty similar to what we heard from AT&T. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, we saw huge options activity in AT&T, but Verizon also saw a big boost. It traded more than 3.4 times its average daily put volume. Right now, the options market implying a move of about 3.3% or so after they report earnings. That's larger than the less than 2% that the company has averaged over the course of the last eight quarters. And the most active options were the weekly 46 strike puts. That included an institutional purchase of 2,000. That took place at around 43 cents a contract. Overall, more than 6,200 of those were traded. And buyers of those puts are obviously betting that Verizon, although it did go down in sympathy with AT&T today, might have further to go after they report tomorrow. Well, thank you very much for that trade, Mike. For more options, action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Well, coming up, there's a heat wave on Wall Street. It's been a red hot July for some retail names. We'll bring you the trades on these similar sizzlers ahead. But first, we're digging back in on the plunge and snap and what it means for the digital ad space. Shares down more than 26% right now. We'll have the latest from the conference call when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're just joining us, shares of a snap plunging after hours on an earnings miss down more than 26%, currently on pace for the second biggest drop since going public. The conference call just wrapped up moments ago. I know Karen wants to hear the details. Let's get more to more on that with Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Any highlights from the call, Gene, that you can bring us as we were here on the air as it was going on? Courtney, as a small investor in Snap, it was a total disappointment. Uh, lack of confidence and lack of visibility. That was one piece that really jumped out at me is they just simply don't have visibility into the business. They said they will regain revenue growth when the macro stabilizes, which is uh, code for uh, we don't know what's the trajectory <laughs> of our revenue. Uh, how bad can this get? Just to put some perspective on it is there's been a lot of focus about the 18% growth in the September quarter, and they're talking about that being flat now. But we have to fast forward to what's going to happen with estimates in December and next year. The street before this is looking for 22% growth in December and 33% next year. I suspect that they will kind of gravitate back to 5% for December and maybe 5% for next year. So I think that the takeaway, the biggest, um, most simple takeaway, is that it is a combination of the macro and competition that is softening demand to a point where they simply don't have visibility. Hey, Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So how do you think about valuing this stock? What, what are the metrics? What do you do? At this point, it's uh, very difficult. Uh, there is a revenue per user basis. Uh, you could look at it from, from that metric. Uh, but the challenge with that is we don't know what the revenue is going to be. And I think this is more complicated than what we're going to see next week coming from Facebook, from Meta, and from Google. But to answer your question is that um, I suspect that ultimately the numbers are going to probably come down by 25 30%. And uh, I think that the multiple is going to continue to compress until investors have at least a glimpse that in a quarter out that revenue is going to start to reaccelerate. So I don't know where the bottom is here over the next quarter, but I suspect, and I want to just just leave just one, uh, give them fair credit around the valuation question and ultimately where this is going, is this is bad. 
but it's not. Uh, it could have been much worse because they did grow DAUs up 18%. It was up 18% in the March quarter. They grew impressions by 9%. Typically, when you think about a social platform, what is most important is for them to be growing users. And so usually you take that over revenue growth because if you factor in that eventually they're going to figure out how to monetize. So I would say when we think about a floor valuation, I think it is uh, important to recognize that the platform, the engagement is improving. It's just they're having a really hard time turning on that monetization. And I was just going to ask you sort of that very balanced question, Gene. It, it looks like those daily active users were better than what the street had expected, but the current quarter revenue guidance was really disappointing. As you try to evaluate what you want to do here, you said you're a small investor. Are, is the, are the odds just too stacked against Snap at this point to build into the position, even at these levels? Or is the daily active user count encouraging enough to nibble at this one? Um. I'm going to politely sidestep the question and, and uh, say that we're thinking more about 2023 right now and haven't answered that question at this point. It's pretty fresh. It's pretty raw right now. Uh, but that is going to be uh, kind of make our decision, see where it trades tomorrow uh, based on that. Uh, we are thinking a lot about what's going to happen next week related to Meta and Google. And if I may just kind of, uh, that's something that I feel is a little bit more actionable from, from our perspective. And uh, ultimately, uh, the street is looking for 4% revenue growth for September. Now, Snap just uh, guided to uh, flat for September. Uh, I think that probably implies, is going to imply that the street, that uh, there's probably a little bit of downside to Meta. But I do believe, I just, um, uh, as I think about all this, I think about, you know, what hasn't happened yet. Let's try to prepare for what's happened, what's going to happen. I suspect that there's a little bit of downside to uh, Meta and Google, but not as much as what we've seen here with Snap. Got it. Thank you so much for joining us, Gene, jumping on after listening to that call and giving us some of your thoughts and headlines. Appreciate that very much. Steve Grasso, you were nodding at one point when Gene was talking. I think it might have been when he was talking about the ARPU there. I'm going to give you a moment to jump in. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, it's pretty interesting that that his point about DAUs growing at 18 percent, but they haven't figured out how to monetize. It, it actually reminds me of the Twitter story long before Elon Musk even whispered Twitter's name, and they couldn't monetize and they couldn't grow DAUs. So, I, you know, I, I think for me, this is definitely, a, 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 you know, one of those things that needs a little more. We talked about the three-day rule, but if the three-day rule holds that 1190 level, I think you can actually start acquiring a little bit of a position in Snap, oddly enough. Hmm. At the 1190 level, so right now we're just hanging on above 12 right now in the after hours, but down 26%. Alphabet's the name. I'm sure Karen will agree with this. Probably trading 111 or so in the after hours. You start doing the math. A company that's now trading at a market multiple, even with everything that's going on, probably still high teens EPS growth, I would think. You back out the cash, it's even cheaper than, right? You add back the cash, I guess you should say. It's even cheaper than that. So they have more revenue streams, more diverse a company. I mean, if you want to be in this space, I think Karen would agree. Alphabet's the name to be in. Will you agree, Karen? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <She does. laughs> My biggest position, I mean, for all the reasons that Guy said. So, I mean, the just evaluation <laughs> for a company that absolutely is far superior than an average market multiple stock. I just want to reiterate, ad spend headwinds and the cyclicality attached to it. And we know spending's pulled back. I mean, how much of that's already been priced in? And even if more gets priced in, um, it's such a different story in terms of uh, the advertiser base at 
Meta and, mm. and Google. I mean, they're monsters. Where else are you going to go? These are the biggest advertising companies in the world. And, and yes, we know what's going on with the economy, but at some point it becomes an opportunity for those two. I don't, I'm not chasing Snap here. <laughs> well, coming up, we are going shopping. We're going to break down the trades on some of the summer's hottest retail names. Should you add these stocks to your cart or is it time to ring the register? Stick around. More fast money in two. Welcome back. Be sure to stay tuned at the top of the hour. Jim is on his new set at the New York Stock Exchange talking with Tractor Supply CEO Hal Lawton. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. That is an interesting company. I've started to learn a little bit more about myself. Meanwhile, a couple retailers sizzling this month. Allbirds soaring 38% on pace only for its second up month since going public last year. Etsy climbing 32%. Chewy and Wayfair also seeing a really hot July. So do you jump into these trades or is it a little too risky? And Karen, another name you're watching, Warby Parker. Warby what, do you, Par- what do you see there? What's happening? Well, I thought, oh, my God, stock traded at 60. It's now at 12. This must be great. But it isn't. <laughs> I, th- I mean, it, I don't know what it was doing at 60. I, 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 I can't. I, it was just, I mean, they still don't make money. Valuations still seems high. I don't know. Same for Allbirds. I mean, it's smaller. So you're right. they don't cover companies that small. But, I mean, the bounce, I guess, is good. They're so oversold. Some of them, I, I have some short interest, so there's a little bit of covering there. That's what I was going to ask you. Generally, when you're looking at some of these names, why are they so much hotter right now? And I think fundamentally really changed, even if we feel a little bit better about the consumer. Do these names deserve to be up so high just because they fell so far? I don't know. Dead bird bounce here. Right. I don't really know what it was. I, right. I, see what you, I see what you did there. I get it. I get it. That's I get clever. it. All birds. All I love right. the shoes, though. Yeah, Grasso, uh, what, what do you think about Chewy? That's a big company, and they've had some big moves here. Yeah, I'm still on the name. It's, it, it's still a poor-performing trade for me. It's still in a declining trend channel. Uh, if you look at it, if you pull back the, uh, the, your lens on a chart, but it, for me, it's always that same thing that people bought or adopted a lot more pets during the pandemic. I'm assuming they're feeding their pets. I'm assuming they're buying <laughs> things for their pets. So for me, valuation is going to be terrible. It's not going to be a value stock for Karen or for any other value player. I'm still on the name. I think it could still grind higher. I think that the market got a little off, uh, off, off sides on value versus growth. And hopefully this can break out. But as I said, it is still in a declining trend. It has more wood to chop. All right. Although since May, it's looking pretty nice there on that chart. Up next, your final trades. It's already time for the final trades. Let's go around the horn. Steve, you're up first. Rivian finally coming back to life. Amazon headlines taking delivery for their electric vehicle vans. I think it has much more upside starting here. Tim, you're up. I'll take your Amazon headline and I'll just go straight to Amazon. I think the one medical acquisition is genius. It makes so much sense with a national health care grid. Uh, it's what they should be doing. And also you look at the stock back to 108. It bounced. That was its pre-COVID level. We talk about that all the time. It moves higher. 
Under 125. Karen, what is your final take? My final here is Mattel, which reported tonight is down, I think, 2% of the aftermarket. A conservative like guidance. One. I like it. Barbie. You've been buying toys lately. Disappointing. I buying some but toys. Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels was crushing it. They don't even have the movies, the Hot Wheels and Barbie movies in their guidance. I like Mattel. Can't wait for that movie. Guys. Disappointing first game in Houston uh, court. Do you think the Yankees pull out game two of this? Absolutely. See? Got it. Great attitude. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. She knows, Tim. DHI, Dan, so. I know you're watching in your face. DHI, DR Horton. Okay, that is your final trade. Thank you all for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer on the new set. It starts right now. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.